If you're new to this church thing, maybe you're new to Christianity and you're lost and you happen to just find an open chair, um, this is the, the portion of our time together when someone comes up here and talks about this book here. And we've found in doing that that this, this book here, it, it has a, a record of things that God has taught people in the past. And what we found is that it's, it often has incredible implications for our present. That the lessons in this book are often life-changing for us here. And so if you're new to church, if you're new to this place, we hope that you encounter some of that experience of learning something new, of being transformed as we consider the things that God has taught us in the past so that it informs our present and changes our future. And so I'd like for us to consider this time maybe less of a, a lecture and maybe more of a conversation starter. I'll be kicking off the conversation, but the conversation finishes in the car ride home, around your lunch table, whatever it may be. So this morning I thought it would be kind of fun to share a story from this book, a story that begins the same way we're sitting here right now. It's a story of a sermon that was ruined in the book of Mark. So if you have your, your phone, you have your Bible, you want to open it up, uh, please do that. Um, and if not, no worries, I'll try to, to keep us uh, on track here. But if we could imagine together that we're, we're in a, a simple house, and this house, it, it's no bigger than maybe 15 by 15. And <laughs> there's a lot of people in here. So the, the house is overflowing with people. People are gathered around the door just trying to get a little bit of the sermon, trying to uh, hear some of the words that are being spoken. And it's not every day that someone in this small town, seaside town, is attracting such a following. But the man that's speaking this morning is different. This Jesus character, it, it's like he, he preaches with power, with authority. And in fact, I've heard that this apparent power has resulted in some miraculous things that, that people have been healed of a variety of ailments. Needless to say, it's worth stopping in just to catch a glimpse of what this Jesus character is up to. And so we can assume that the sermon in our story this morning, that the sermon is going well. I mean, it's Jesus. <laughs> I'm guessing he has a pretty good track record. And I'm guessing that he's speaking on one of his favorite topics, that the kingdom of God is near, that the influence, the, the reign of God is on the earth, that God is up to something influencing humanity for the better. 
And so he calls people to repent. To repent is, is to change your mind in such a way that it changes your actions. To turn from the life as you know it, to trust that God is saving his people and that this salvation that is being talked about is embodied in this man named Jesus. And the sermon was going so well until it was interrupted. Mark chapter 2, verse 3. Then some people came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. I love this because preachers are always looking for good sermon illustrations. That's why football season is so helpful. <laughs> but here, Jesus' sermon illustration literally falls from the sky. Okay? So if we can imagine uh, a flat roof of kind of moderate height, uh, probably a ladder on the side of the house that allowed these men to get up on top of it, and maybe some wood beams with some, um, some thatching, some mud and some branches. And Jesus is speaking. And all of a sudden, you hear footsteps above his head. And some dust begins to fall. And before long, there's a skylight. <laughs> Free of charge. Not an easy task. But besides the property damage, you can imagine the, the tension in this moment as down comes this man with paralysis. A man that many in the circle probably recognized. A man that many have thought didn't deserve this honored position at the feet of Jesus in front of those who have clambered into this house to get a privileged seat. And here this man comes right before Jesus' feet. This is a man who many would assume was paralyzed because of his sin. Or even worse, that he came from a long line of people who have rebelled against God and it finally caught up to them in the form of this man's immobile limbs. And it's likely that even his own family was ashamed of him. And so at Jesus' feet lays this man, a man whose world is different than everyone else sitting in the room. The only world that he knows is a world that is physically inaccessible. There were no ramps or wheelchairs. The world that he knew was a, a society choking out any hope of belonging. A community that would confront him with religious barriers, barring him from the most intimate worship experiences because of his assumed sin. 
And yet here he lays before Jesus. And it says, verse 5, that he's seen. While maybe enduring a lifetime of being overlooked, the man finds himself in a position to truly be seen by God. And in all this drama of the event, with the the pressing crowds in this tiny house, the roof being torn open, and the man with paralysis being lowered to Jesus' feet, what is the first thing that Jesus notices? He sees the plot unfold, and immediately he takes notice of their faith. Verse 5, Jesus saw their faith. Whose faith? Their faith. Yeah, their faith. Who's there? Wonderful. This is why you're a much better person than I am. Let me explain. Because I've heard this story time and time again. Um, I live in a home where I push wheelchairs and I, I read this story multiple times and I think, wow, those four men that climbed up, carried their friend, dug through the roof, look at their feet. Look at their faith. All the while looking over, or overlooking, the faith of the man with paralysis. I don't know if I'm alone in that, but I, it, it's interesting that we, we connect faith with physical action, with effort, which is good. We need, we need doers, Right? But in doing so, we miss the vibrant faith of people who are differently abled. And in the way this passage is written, there's nothing that excludes this man with paralysis being honored for his faith this morning. And so Jesus looks at the four men who have lowered the man with paralysis down, and he is moved by their faith. Just as he's preaching of the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God has come near, calling people to change the way they think, to believe, the entire crowd sees belief and trust and faith descending before Jesus. And in response, Jesus changes this man's life forever. In a world that was characterized by um, being inhospitable, Jesus reaches through and creates belonging for this man. In verse 5, Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. 
Being called a son is a world of difference than being called a sinner. And we see this throughout Jesus' ministry that he's continually reaching out to the people in the margins and redefining family by calling them son, daughter, come home, come home. And today this man with paralysis has persevered a lifetime of, of pain and guilt and shame to only have this reality shattered by a single word, son. And Jesus goes on further to transform this man's life by declaring, your sins are forgiven. And in the church, we often think of the forgiveness of sins kind of like a, like a rap sheet, okay? <laughs> like your record, right? So it's in bullet form. So, you know, September 2016, DUI, that was a rough night, right? Uh, I shouldn't joke about that. I'm sorry. Um, like, breaking and entering, possession of narcotics. And then on the other side, we have a column, bullet points. You know, uh, one-year probation, needs to attend AA meetings, three years in prison. And we see this concept of sin in bullet form, and we recognize Jesus forgives sin. He takes away the penalty. No more jail time. But I'd like to imagine this forgiveness of sin a little differently, a little more thorough. Because see, if you believe that, if you believe Jesus forgives sin and you recognize he's paid the penalty, he's taken away the, the results, the, the impact of our wrongdoing, if that is true, a lot of us continue to walk around as ex-convicts. As people who have, re- the penalty's been paid, but our rap sheet is still there. <laughs> Tucked neatly away, right? Where no one can see it. And this morning, if we could imagine that Jesus says, Daughter, son, your sins are forgiven. That he's not just saying, I took care of the penalty, don't worry about it. But he's offering to remove the entire identity as an ex-con, as a sinner. To replace it with a new self-understanding as a loved member in God's family. For those of you who have spent some time in the church, you knew exactly how this story is going to end. Immediately when I said, a man with paralysis comes before Jesus, you're like, Jesus is going to heal this guy. (laughs) You just know, right? It's just what Jesus does. If you've read this book. And we'll get to that in a minute. But if I can, I... I'd like to propose this morning that this man, hearing those words, Son, your sins are forgiven, 
That was his healing moment. To receive this transformation in his identity, to truly experience belonging from Jesus could change this man's entire life. Healing. There's some pretty brilliant students of this book here uh, who have observed that there is a difference between curing and healing. There's a difference between curing and healing. When we consider curing, we witness the complete removal of an ailment. The symptoms are completely gone. Thank goodness for doctors who can cure. When we think about healing, we witness a total transformation of a person within their community. When we think about healing, we see the transformation of someone's self-understanding. When we think about healing, we see renewed relationship with God. When we think about healing, we see the overcoming of communal prejudices. When we think about healing, we discover a more hospitable society where our grip on what's normal is loosened. Doctors cure, but communities like this one heal. Anytime you challenge a societal norm or oppose a beloved prejudice, expect some pushback. Jesus offers healing to this man through the forgiveness of sin. And there's some religious leaders that are packed in that house that take offense to that. Verse 7, they say, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sin but God alone? As you get to know Jesus, you'll see the irony in this question that, that, the, that the answer is within their question. But Jesus responds, verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up, take your mat, and walk? One of those statements carries a heavier burden of proof. Verse 10, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. Verse 12. And he stood up and immediately took the mat, went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. We just read a report of a man, paralyzed, standing up (laughs) and walking home. I wonder if we can maybe applaud the Lord for that this morning. (laughs) 
I've never seen anything like that. And in that story, if you caught it, Jesus, he refers to himself as the son of man, which is an interesting title. I encourage you to look, look into that. But uh, just real briefly, son of man is a, a term from the, from the Old Testament, kind of the, the earlier portion of this book, that literally means human. But it also represents or came to be understood as a person in authority of God's kingdom person in authority of God's kingdom, someone who would bring salvation to those suffering. And Jesus uses this title for himself, that Jesus, the man and the divine savior, has used his authority to influence this godly kingdom, to miraculously cure this man's inactive limbs. And this miracle It serves as a physical sign, a testimony that forgiveness is possible through Jesus. This individual who was an outcast, who was likely unseen and maybe even unloved, this man who no one thought could contribute anything to society, social, economic, or religious life. This is the individual Jesus chooses to be worship leader this morning. Because it's through Jesus' work in this man's life, through the transformation of his identity, through the offering of renewed relationship with God and receiving a miracle, this man experienced Jesus in such a way that all who were there that day were amazed and glorified God, having never seen anything like this before. And the man's very first calling into ministry is simply go home. Go home. Let me redeem, let me renew, recreate relationships with your family. Also, so you loved ones of God. Once again, Jesus, he extends an offer, a lifetime guarantee. And we can almost hear his words echoed this morning Son, your sins are forgiven. Daughter, your sins are forgiven. You belong. Now go home and share all that God has done for you. Let me pray for us. Loving God, we thank you for just being able to read a story of the way that you transform, the way that you heal, the way that you forgive. And as we listen to the story of the transformation of this man, God, I'm wondering if we don't remember and recall the ways that we need you to transform us.
that we need to be reminded of who we are this morning, that we need your forgiveness, that we need belonging, that we need your healing.